0: Hi, and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're so excited you joined us today. No matter where in the world you are, we want you to know that you're
1: family. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. It was the fall of 2000, and I was in 10th grade at that time. It was the greatest moment of my little life at that moment. The school I was attending, Faith Heritage, was about to win the state championship for football. Soccer, all right, and this was huge because our school had only 500 kids attending, and that was for grades kindergarten all the way up to senior year of high school. And our school was so small that they only offered three sports: basketball, track and field, and soccer. Now, right away, you could look at me, and if even if you don't know much about me, you probably already know I'm not good enough to play soccer, right? So, if I'm not good at be playing soccer, I just had to resort to being a fan, and so. I wanted to be the best fan there was for my high school. Yes, I was one of those crazy fans. I painted my face, I wore the crazy wig, and I went nuts, all in the name of our team, of course. But in 2000, we had a good team and we knocked off the number one team in the entire state two weeks earlier. One more win and we were gonna be New York State champions. So we traveled to the game and I go and I watch and I'm locked in and we score a goal First thing in the first half. And so we're up 1-0, or 1-0, as soccer fans would call it. And just before the end of the half, again, our star player scores again, and now we're up 2-0 or 2-0. And so I'm thinking, man, we might win our first ever championship. The second half comes, and we score a third goal, 3-0. And by this point, I was jacked because I was like, man, we did it. We're going to be state champions. And so as the final minutes were counting down, All of a sudden, I hear this little voice in my ear shouting, faith sucks, faith sucks, faith sucks. And the name of my school stinks. And in that moment, I just got angry. I got heated because, man... We're about to win. This is the greatest moment of my life. Don't mess with me, little devil, or whoever you are. And so I just turned around, didn't even look at the person, and I just said, hey, buddy, the scoreboard says differently, so I think you need to pipe down, sit down, and stop being a sore loser. Not bad, right? Bam. Now, the problem was when I turned and I realized who I was talking to, I had to look up Because this guy was six foot seven both ways, if you know what I'm talking about. And he was not a happy dude hearing me run my little motor mouth. And so he said, what did you just say? And right then and there, my high-pitched voice came back out. Nothing, sir. I'm sorry. Enjoy the game. But it was too late. And he said, I'll see you after the game. Now, at that moment, I've got one of two options, right? I've got fight, fight, Or flight, right? I'm going to fight this guy and I'm going to stay on my ground or I'm going to run away like a chicken. What did Pastor Mike do? He ran. He ran like the wind, man. I was terrified and I ran as fast as I could. Thank God I never met him again. I don't know what happened after that, but I was out and thankfully my life was spared because of that. Now, 21 years ago, I faced conflict and my choice was fight or flight, right? But see, 21 years later, surprisingly, many of us do the same. When it comes to conflict, we either fight or we flight. We run away and we avoid. We don't necessarily get into fistfights, and hopefully you don't. But, but instead, we troll on social media, right? Or we make sure our voice is heard. And us New Yorkers, right, we've got a pretty big bark, right? Don't we? So maybe we fight or we run, not, not in physical running away, but we suppress and we conceal those feelings, and often they don't resurface until years later. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems like our culture is getting more and more divided and fractured. I mean, last year we saw an increase in mass shootings. We saw an increase in protests, an increase in violence. And, and I think we all could agree we're getting more divided and polarized as a nation I mean, it seems like no matter what channel you turn it on, anger and conflict is on the rise. You turn it on the TV, and it's these pundits that are yelling at each other. You go on the internet, and it's people dissing one another on social media. And it just seems like conflict is on the rise. And I think all of us, we could agree that this is a big problem in our society today. But even a bigger problem is that no one has really taught us how to deal with conflict right? I mean, for most of us, our only solution was fight or flight. And let's be honest, that's not working. And so that's why today, as we wrap up our escape room teaching series, we're going to talk about such an important topic. We're going to talk about what to do when you're divided. In other words, how do you navigate and deal with conflict in a God-honoring way? Now, remember, most of us, we've never been taught on how to effectively deal with conflict, But the Bible actually gives us a few guidelines and a few discussion points about this topic. In fact, let me show you. If you click on your notes, you're going to look at a small story in the Bible that so many of us miss when we read our devotions. In fact, it's such a small little story that I promise you, many times when we read this, we don't think twice about what it means or its implications for our lives today. So here it is. It's found in Acts chapter 15, the last few verses, And here's what the story says. It says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Now, what's going on here? Now, as you know, Paul and Barnabas were huge in helping to establish and start the early church. Paul used to persecute and kill Christians. But then in Acts chapter 9, Paul meets Jesus and then becomes a Christian. But the problem is in the beginning, nobody believes that Paul's a Christian because they're afraid that he's tricking them to capture and kill more Christians. But that's where Barnabas comes in. Barnabas was credible and he comes alongside Paul to verify that Paul indeed was a follower of Jesus. But then Paul and Barnabas, they almost become like this hip band, like the Beatles or Simon and Garfunkel or One Direction or NSYNC, right? And these guys, Paul and Barnabas, they travel the world and they share the gospel with those who are far from God and they see incredible results. I mean, people, they're healed. Lives are changed. New churches are born. God is doing a great work through these guys, but just like with every hit band, a breakup happens, and we see it in this story. Now, both these guys, Paul and Barnabas, they both agreed on the importance of the trip, but they just couldn't agree on who should travel with them. Barnabas wants John Mark, his cousin, to come with him for the journey, but Paul says no. No. Because they once brought him before, and he bails on them in the middle of the trip. So Paul's thinking, why take the chance again? And this seemingly simple disagreement busts out into an all-out argument, and it ends with Paul and Barnabas splitting up for good. Paul goes his own way with Silas, and Barnabas takes John Mark with him on a separate path. They're divided, and it seems like the great work stops. What do you do when you're divided? What do you do when you face conflict and you don't know how to overcome? When you feel trapped and you don't know how to escape? And maybe for you, it's been during this pandemic. You know, social distancing has had an effect on you. It's had an effect on every relationship that you have. You feel like everybody's in standstill and you don't know how your friends that you once were close with, how they're doing. And now it just kind of feels awkward. And You don't know what to do with these friendships. And maybe for you, the conflict is with a brother or a sister. Things got heated. You said things that you regret. They said things that they probably regret. And those words, they stick with you. And you're afraid that the words that you said stuck with them. And now you're wondering, how how do I make this right? And maybe for you, the conflict you feel is in the workplace. You feel like everyone is on your back at work. Everyone's piling on. And for some of you, you feel that way because of your faith. You know, people know what you believe and so you feel like they're testing your integrity. They're trying to push you to the limits. How how do you deal with it in a God-honoring way? Maybe for you, the conflict that you're facing is internal. You're a person who likes to tell everybody you're fine, but inwardly you're a pushover and you hate to confront and you hate to bring things up to people. and So you'd rather not, but it's been years and you feel it eating away at you like being in a prison. How do you overcome and how do you deal with conflict? We all deal with it, whether you're an aggressive person or you're a passive person. Conflict is unavoidable. But God can use the conflict and the arguments to help not only build the relationship, not only to grow friendships, but to also help stretch and mold your faith as well. Let me give you some biblical strategies on how to deal with conflict. Number one in your notes is always listen first. Always listen first. Now now maybe you're watching this right now and you're like, "Wait, what did that preacher man just say?" Let's do it again. Always listen first. I believe a lot of our fights and arguments could be avoided if we would just simply listen to the other person first without jumping to conclusions and then jumping all over them. James chapter 1, verse 19 says it like this. It says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to what? To, to, to what? To, to listen. Type it in the chat, all caps. Listen. In Spanish, escuchen, right? To be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to to get angry. When I don't listen first, I don't really know where the other person's coming from, right, I don't know their motivation, and so often what I'm doing is I'm jumping to conclusions, and when I jump to conclusions, I often envision the worst because I'm reading between the lines. Now maybe for you, your boss asks for help with a project, and you just think, man, they don't want to do it themselves, they're just being selfish, they're always piling things on me, or or maybe for you, your, your boyfriend asks why you're late, And they don't understand, right? They're being a jerk. They don't understand how much time it takes to put makeup on and get my hair done, right? Or Or maybe your daughter asks you to play a game after school and you're like, again, I already played Uno. I already played Trouble. I already played Monopoly. How many games? Can't you just play a video game? And see, oftentimes, when we don't listen first and we don't know where they're coming from, we tend to jump to the wrong conclusions. But when I listen first, I'm hearing their point of view. I can see that maybe their motivation isn't as crazy as I thought it was, and while I might not agree, I can at least understand. And so I gotta read above the line, right? And that's where something positive can begin to come out of conflict. So number one, always listen first. The second one in your notes is never speak out of anger. Never speak out of anger. Now let's face it, we are all emotional people, but we don't have to let our emotions get the best of us. Successful people, they know how to handle their emotions well. But when we speak out of anger, we say things that if we were in control, we wouldn't normally say these things, or we wouldn't deep down want to say these things. We often say things that hurt the other person, things that hurt us and can oftentimes escalate a situation unnecessarily. Proverbs 12, 18, it says it like this. It says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. In other words, any that you find yourself getting upset, it's best to take what I would call the five-second rule. What's the five-second rule? Well, it's simple. It's where you don't do anything for five seconds. You just take a deep breath and you wait. And usually what happens is after those five seconds, the smoke begins to settle, and you're better able to handle conflict than you would have if you just flew off the handle and said the first thing that comes to your mind. Now, maybe you're here today and you're a little skeptical, right? The five-second rule, Pastor Mike, come on, what am I, a kid? Maybe you're not sure how it works, but I want to show you just a cute video from YouTube of a kid of an older brother who is teaching a younger brother the importance and the power of the five-second rule. In fact, I think you'll love this. Take a look at it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I love this video, right? I mean, isn't it so cute? But it tells us the importance of, Never responding out of anger. Now now think about this. Husbands and wives, how much better would your marriage be if you simply put the five-second rule into practice? How much would your past week have been better, right? Moms and dads, if you put the five-second rule in place, it probably would have kept you from lashing out at your kids, which you're now struggling to forgive yourself for. Or at work, You probably would have gotten that promotion had you not lost your cool and barked at your coworkers who now is your supervisor, right? Life always has that weird way of working out, doesn't it? But see, when you speak out of anger, you often use polarizing and harsh words, and that often escalates the situation, and then the other person lashes back at you, and pretty soon the conflict isn't productive. It's not God-honoring. It's destructive and embarrassing when you look back on it. That's why Proverbs 15, verse 1, it says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. So we've got to listen before we speak. We've got to never lash out in anger. And then number three in your notes is to value relationship over resolution. Value relationship over resolution. Now, if I were to ask you if you knew how to resolve conflict, I'm going to guess there's a good chance you're going to say yes. In fact, you're probably watching this saying, I'm glad, Pastor, you're talking about this because the person sitting next to me, they're a hothead. I'm the one that keeps my cool. I never lash out. You're already talking, Pastor. Always listen first. Check. Always, uh, you know, don't lash out in anger. Check. That's me. But, But here's the deal. Believe it or not, most people believe they're good at handling conflict. But if you were to ask someone if the silent treatment was a smart way to handle conflict, most people would say no, right? But chances are, if you're hurt enough, you use the silent treatment. Why? Well, because we all have a tendency of retaliating and responding to hostility with more hostility, which creates a negative cycle that can cause a relationship or a friendship to wither and eventually end. See, your focus will determine your direction. And so if you're always focused on being right in the end, you're likely going to be right, but you're not going to have a friend, right? But if you focus on building a friendship or a relationship and you throw it aside, whether or not who's wrong and who's right, I guarantee you're going to have a healthy friendship and a great relationship. So decide today that friendship and relationships are more important than resolution. Choose the person over the problem. You might disagree, you might not have it all worked out, but give, give time, because you will. And see, until you learn to value relationship over resolution, I guarantee you this next verse is gonna drive you nuts. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, it says, do not sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I remember when Danielle and I were first married and we heard this verse, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. And we would be fighting, arguing till like three in the morning because man, we can't let the sun go down while we're angry. And, you know, but but here's the idea is that for me, I get kind of demon-possessed at nighttime. Like, I, I'm a totally different person. Danielle would agree. She might even put it in the chat, right? You know, and so oftentimes, we would argue for the sake of arguing because we didn't want to let the sun go down. But really, the principle of this is not the sun going down while we're still angry. The principle of this, the, this verse is that anger gives a foothold to the devil. When left unchecked, we could allow anger to get the best of us and bitterness and anger to root in our hearts. Colossians 3.13 says it like this. It says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, if we look at number four in our notes, the fourth one is to seek godly compromise. I seek godly compromise. Now in some areas of life, compromise in the face of conflict is viewed as weakness. But when it comes to your friendships or relationships, I believe compromise is a sign of deep spiritual growth and maturity, and God-honoring wisdom. Because the Bible says it like this, Proverbs 13:10: Pride leads to conflict." You see, the number one source of conflict in all of our lives is pride. Right? The feeling that I'm always right, that, that I have to have my way here, that I'm not going to budge, and I'm not going to move until they do this. It's always going to lead to a fight. It's always going to lead to hurt feelings, and it's always going to lead to relationships and friendships being split. And see, that's why when you want one thing and the other person wants something else, you've got to lay aside pride and seek godly compromise. Philippians 2 verse 4 says this, says, Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now understand, compromise doesn't mean that you're wrong and they're right. It just means that you value relationship more than ego. So seek godly compromise. And then number five in your notes, the last step that we've got to take, is to surrender my entire life to God. I surrender my life to God. Now maybe you're watching today and you're in a deep conflict. Maybe the, the marriage that you have has fallen apart or maybe it's tension in your family with your brothers and sisters or maybe it's working for a supervisor who's been difficult. Could it be that the conflict that you're facing right now, the division that you feel, could it be that it's a symptom of something that is deeper? Could it be a sign that conflict is actually a warning sign telling you that you need to invite God in your life. Now, maybe you grew up and you had this weird or distorted view of God. Maybe your idea of God was this angry man in the sky, long beard, had a clipboard with your name on it, and he would check off all the things you did good and all the bad that you did. And any time that you did something bad, God just unleashed anger at you. And he was waiting for a moment to catch you doing something wrong. Or maybe you were once religious. You did this whole church thing, but but something bad happened in your life. And you looked up to God and you said, why? Why me? What what kind of God would allow this to happen? Or maybe your idea of God is this idea of distance. You know, God is for religious people and religious people are kind of weird. And so you don't really want to be weird. And so you said, no thanks to this whole thing called God. And so the thought of you being here right now, even watching church online, is a little bit conflicting for you. I mean, you're here because you've got that friend, and they won't stop bugging you to watch this thing. Or maybe you just kind of were scrolling on your newsfeed and Facebook, and you decided, I guess I'm going to check this out, whatever, you know? And if that's you, I'm glad that you're here today. But what if, what if this idea you have of God might be skewed? What if God really is nothing like you were taught growing up? Uh, Let me show you. Let's look at James chapter 4. It says this. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within who? Within you. Then it goes on. It says, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. So what if God is not someone who's angry with you all the time, but what if God loved you so much that he actually gave everything on the line for you? What if God isn't the one who's causing conflict in your life, but what if he's actually the answer to the conflict that you're facing? What if God is not a God of distance, but that God is actually close and he's personal and he's one call away? How would that change your perspective? You see, if you're facing conflict this morning, why not start with God? Why not invite Him into your life and let Him direct your steps? Why not surrender to Him and see if He can't bring resolve to your conflict? Now, we looked earlier at the story of Paul and Barnabas, two guys who split up seemingly. Paul and Silas went a separate way. Barnabas and John Mark went another way. But the gospel message spread double than it had before. And if you were to continue to read the book of Acts and you continue to read some of Paul's writings, at the very end of Paul's writings, you actually read that one of Paul's closest companions was John Mark. It was the guy who deserted him originally, the guy who Paul said, we don't want anything to do with him. So see, when you deal with conflict in a God-honoring way and you seek resolve, and you listen first, and you value the relationship over being right, God can bring harmony and unity together. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Let's take a moment let's pray. God, we thank you for this time where we've looked to your word, and, and I know some of us here are watching this, And we're dealing with conflicts, unresolved tension in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to be set free from this. It might be years ago that happened. It might be years of anger and strained relationship. But God, we're coming to you today because we want to live free. And so we ask you to help us take those important steps that are necessary, whether it's to seek godly compromise or to surrender our entire lives to you or to listen before we speak, God. Help us to be the bigger person and to take that step of faith because that's what Jesus did with us. Jesus showed his love for us, gave up his life for us while we were still sinners and while we were still far from you. And so, God, we ask your strength and your healing to come over our lives today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.
0: my eyes on this calling because I can't afford to be distracted by fixing my eyes on something else. And if you're ever going to overcome distractions in your life, then you need to learn to fix your focus on the right things, on God things, which means you need to learn how to identify distractions. You need to know, hey, this is a distraction. You need to be able to speak it out. You need to be confident in saying, no, no, I will not engage in that. No, I will not go do that. No, I will not connect with that person. No, I will not be involved in that situation or in that kind of uh, environment. And then you need to know which voices to tune out and which things to turn off. Because listen, there are some good meaning people in your life who will try to talk you out of the calling that God has for you. Listen, I know there are people I know who have moved to this city to fulfill a calling in their lives, to be a part of a church or to start a church. And they have become distracted by other things. And sometimes it's even their own family members who say, well, why would you do that? Or why would you sacrifice so much? Or why would you give so much? Why would you do that? Because look, you could do this instead. And they've succumbed to those voices. And you've got to know, if you're going to overcome distraction, you got to fix your focus. Say, my focus is fixed. As another way of saying it, my focus is fixed on this calling of God and nothing is going to deter me or stop me from fulfilling this purpose or this calling In my life. After you fix your focus, you can step into step three, which is to keep your commitment. Keep your commitment. Now, this is really important, and it sounds almost obvious, but it's so easy for us to say, oh, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. And then we get distracted and never actually return to that. But verse 9 reveals something to us. It says this. Nehemiah is speaking again, and he says this. He just received the letter, and it had all these falsehoods and lies about him, And so he he responds, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. You see, sometimes distraction does get the best of us. Sometimes like in Nehemiah's case, we get a letter and we stop and we read this letter and think, whoa, this is serious stuff. This is a big problem. Sometimes we get distracted I should say a figurative letter, and sometimes we get distracted and we receive some news or a bit of information or something that causes us to question whether or not we're doing the right thing, whether or not we should continue on in this way. Sometimes that's when a family member gets sick. Sometimes that's when a loved one that you care about is kind of in the final stages of battling cancer. Sometimes that's when you receive that notice that your employment is ending in a couple of weeks and now you're gonna have to try to figure out how to pay bills, how to move forward. Sometimes it's when that child turns and says, you know what, this Christianity thing, this Jesus thing, it's not for me. And we get distracted and we get discouraged and we get deterred. And 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 they get the best of us, myself included. Listen, we're not perfect. And the good news is that God is not asking for our perfection. He's simply asking for our commitment to say, hey, you committed to being my witness. Hey, you committed to fulfilling this calling. So yes, you got distracted, but now it turned back to, there's so many times where I think, oh, I started working on something and then I got distracted. And then like two hours later, we're like, oh yeah, I never finished that thing that I was supposed to finish. And yet Nehemiah said, I'm gonna keep the commitment. I love what he said. I continued the work with even greater determination. And you and I could do the same thing. Yes, we're going to trip up. Yes, we're not going to be perfect. And yes, we're going to get distracted at times. But we, like Nehemiah, can continue with even greater determination. And here's why it matters, because your calling is completed through your commitment. Your calling is completed through your commitment. You will not fulfill the calling of God on your life if you are not committed to following through with it. Now, that seems really obvious and kind of like a no-duh state, the obvious point. But so many times we get discouraged that we have no, we feel like we have no purpose or we feel like we have no calling. And it's not because God didn't assign it. It's not because God didn't give it. It's because we didn't follow through on our commitment. So step one, you got to know your purpose. Step two, you got to fix your focus. Step three, you got to keep your commitment. And then step four, you got to live with perseverance. You got to live with perseverance. I want to go to verse um, 15 and I want to read verse 15 to you. And it says this, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. How, how many of you know that good things don't always come easily? Okay. It, you can say, yup in the chat or you can raise your hand at home. Okay. Parents of, of young kids, um, you should all have your hands raised because raising a good child does not come easily. I've been trying to teach this idea and this concept of perseverance to my daughter. I have a daughter who's nine years old. She'll be 10 in September. And I've been trying to teach her the importance and the significance about perseverance specifically because it's her kind of temptation or inclination. Like if something is hard or if something is challenging, doesn't matter if it's in school or a video game or sports, um, then she'll want to kind of move on from it. Sometimes she'll quit. She wants to quit. Or sometimes other times she just says, well, let me do this instead. And and I'm trying to teach her, Gia, baby, listen, you had to persevere even though it's hard. Or she'll say, well, can you do it for me or can you help me? And it's like, no, I want you to do this. I want you to build up this perseverance. I want you to build up this resistance, this tolerance to overcome something that feels challenging or something that feels difficult. Because listen, this is an important life skill. Because in life there are things that hit in life, there are things that come up. There are challenges that present themselves. There are distractions uh, that we face. There are situations that require the only way that we will get to the other side of it is if we live with perseverance. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did in verse 15. He says, In October 2nd, 52 days later, we finished the ball, the wall, we fulfilled my calling, we fulfilled this purpose, and we did what we set out to do despite the distractions, despite the threats, despite the enemies, despite the challenges and the setbacks. We were able to accomplish what we set out to do because we live with perseverance. And you know what I think? I think sometimes you and I, I think we so easily give up, we give up so easily When if all we had was just a little more perseverance, we would start seeing the fruit of our investment. If all we had was just a little more perseverance, we would experience the breakthrough that we've been praying for, the breakthrough that we've been longing for. If all we had was just a little more uh, uh, perseverance, then we would see our callings fulfilled. And and, and sometimes I think we just give up so easily because there's an obstacle or a wall. And what this means to live with perseverance means that, listen, if something sets up in front of you, if you see something trying to, to block, your way, then you've got to work around it. you got to go over it. Sometimes you have to run through it and bust through it just to get through onto the other side. Other times it means that something's going to be pulling you from behind. A distraction is going to be trying to, the enemy is going to be trying to keep you back from stepping forward. And you just have to cut it off and say, no, I have to move forward. I have to continue on with the calling of God in my life. And this is exactly what God wants for you, is to live with perseverance, is to step into this promise, is to keep your commitment, to, to know your purpose, uh, to fix your focus so that you can fulfill. The calling that he has for you. Just like Nehemiah, God has chosen you and he has set you apart to do a great work. But if you're ever going to fulfill it, if you're ever going to overcome these distractions, then you're going to have to follow through these, or if you want to overcome these distractions, then you have to follow these steps in order to step into it. And the good news is, the good news is, you're not alone. Because again, For those of you who have given your lives to Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit and God has not left you out to do this on your own. He's given you something that empowers you and equips you to fulfill the work. And through his power, you can find your purpose. And through his power, you can fix your focus. And through his power, you can keep those commitments. And through his power, you can live with perseverance to fulfill the calling that God has for you. And this is the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. And this is how we escape the tangles of distraction. So Journey Queens, let me pray for you. And then I'm gonna turn it back over to the team as we wrap up today's service. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you don't just tell us to overcome distraction, but you've outlined a path for us. We thank you, God, that you've not left us alone, but you've given us the Holy Spirit so that we can know our purpose, so that we can keep our eyes fixed, our focus fixed on the things that you called us to, so that we can be committed and keep our commitments to you and so that we can live with perseverance and overcome the challenges. I know there's so many things, God, health issues, worries, financial woes, family stresses. There's so many things that set themselves up and, and, and they provide opportunities for us to either be distracted from your calling or they become the means through which you want us to fulfill your calling in our lives. But I pray, God, wherever we are, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. I pray that you would encourage us and that you would inspire us to move forward. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.